0: Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Logan, new song leader. Yeah. <clears throat> Good to see you all. We're winding down this smoky summer and uh, smiling faces out there, some traveling. Praise God. So uh, we've been talking a uh, series talking a series, uh, the stories of Jesus, and last week we talked some about planning. And I wanted to share a little bit more about that today. So we looked at several of Jesus' teachings that uh, I think are very helpful for us as we try to figure out the priority of the plans that we should make and the ways, the strategies that we put together living uh, our life for the Lord. So... uh, parables that talk about planning. We looked at the parable of the rich fool. This is a person who had no goal bigger than taking life easy, eating, drinking, and being merry. And uh, they did not regard God as giving or or any idea that anything that they had belonged to God. And uh, they made their plans apart from the reality of God whatsoever. And then we looked at the parables about counting the cost and intentionality uh, about building the tower. If you're going to go do that, you estimate that. And if you don't have enough to finish and you start because your planning isn't good, that will bring shame. And the other about like a king with an army. If you had 10,000 soldiers and you have a king coming against you at 20,000, are you able to withstand them? And if not... Why wouldn't you sue for peace and make peace way ahead of time? And uh, I think about that, that the Lord of hosts is coming toward each one of us. Have you made peace with your heavenly king as he comes toward you? Uh, The parable of the shrewd manager we looked at a little bit. A story about using worldly wealth and the resources of this world and trading those for things that last and things that are eternal and how we are shrewd, actually, when we give up things we cannot keep anyway to obtain things that we can never be, we can never lose and can never be taken from us. That's a shrewd way to make our plans, that we have this hope of everything, of treasure in heaven that we vouchsafe with our Lord and God. Well, I think about planning, that there are different levels of planning as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, uh, and we're at different, different levels at different times. This is kind of ambiguous, I know. This is just Calvin's brain world that you're entering into right now, a uh, disclaimer there. But I think, you know, there are people that have no plans with God, and they're pretty selfish with anything they have, their time, their resources. I don't owe anything to anyone. I did this all in my own strength and by my own hand. Uh, And then maybe a little bit better level of planning would be that I have a lot and maybe I should share some of this. To do some good in this world or to give to someone in need. I recognize maybe there's something that I have there, some kind of responsibility. Another one would be, well, I make the plans, but I need God to bless them. And I realize that without God's blessing, maybe I wouldn't have the same level of stuff. Another little further in might be, I plan as best I can, but I know that I can't control this, and the results are in God's hand. I think that that, just that level of realization, that level of humility, that that, that's a useful thing. Uh, I recognize that everything I currently have or will have is from God. And I use my resources to bless others. That's, that's a whole, whole higher level of intentionality with our plans. Not just the theoretical, like, you know, I've got quite a bit and there are people in need and I probably should do something. This is, this is from God. I have a responsibility. And then you execute. And you actually give and do good things with your resources. Maybe a little further would be, I invest in both my plans and God's plans. That we both have stuff going on. And I give my time and resources into both of those things. And then maybe a little further would be, I have my plans and God has his plans. But I realize that my plans need to be under the umbrella of God's plans somehow. That there needs to be a priority there. And then this higher level, the highest level that I can think of that I see is people who have given up on their plans completely. And there's nothing but God's plans what would it be like to live a life like that? That your little projects of obtaining and and building security and if that's just gone out the window and there's nothing but here I am, Lord, send me. What do you want me to do? I think that's a whole other level. I, you know, am my best. I have touched that holding on to that throughout the years of a life, wow, that is a high calling. So this morning, I want to talk about what I think of as the best a person can make of their life. Can you really do anything better than with your life, with the allotment of time that each of us have, have, have been given? We don't know how long that is. Can you really do anything better with your life than putting your plans into God's hands and seeking his plans? I have no other plans but the Lord's plans. Uh, just as an aside, you know, we have acknowledged this. Any of you who have been baptized into the body of Christ have acknowledged that commitment. Your baptism is a death. Death. And that person that came out of that watery grave is a person who has taken up their cross and publicly announced, my life is over, and now all I have is the life of my Lord and Savior. That's the life I claim. And I'm living this new life on his behalf to glorify him. Now, we're not always good at living up to that sometimes. Uh, And that challenges us. And that commitment is a line in the sand that keeps drawing us back to a consideration. Am I living my life in such a way that the plans of God are being advanced in this world and that my Lord is being glorified? I suggested that if you want 100% success rate in achieving your goals and your plans then you take up God's plans. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's plans are always going to prevail. Think about that. And if you get in alignment with that, 100% success rate. Because even when you lose as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you win. You've already won. You'll discover the reality of winning constantly in the power of the lord and his spirit <laughs> when your life plans become about the glory of god and fulfilling his purposes even if the worst happens even if there are unbelievable obstacles you you've already won in jesus christ Living a life surrendered, surrendering and pushing aside your own plans, and just seeking God's plans, that's actually a really hard thing to do. Because we constantly try to take the reins back, we constantly try to be in control of everything. And just because you, in a moment, decide to say yes to God's plans, it doesn't mean that suddenly things are going to get easier for you either. In fact, I believe when a person goes all in for Jesus Christ, when you have no other basket and you put all of, okay, Lord, here I am, I'm putting it all in your basket, here I am, use me, send me, what do you want, Lord? I would suggest that that's the time that things get harder and not necessarily easier. Uh, Your enemy, the enemy of your souls, will do everything to throw sand in the gears of a heart that surrendered to the Lord your God. He will try everything he can to trip you up, discourage you, make you give up, make you feel like a fool for trusting God like that. And then he's adept at using things like embarrassment and shame, where... You, you tried to do something good for the Lord and then you failed and you feel miserable and ashamed because of your failure. And he constantly brings those failures to your mind and makes you feel ashamed for even having given up, maybe ashamed for even having tried. But what would it look like in your life if you gave up your personal plans for God's plans, I'm talking got serious about it and really made God a priority, how would your life look different than it is right now? That's a scary thought for some of us because we think, I know this is going to cost me. I know this is not going to be easy. I know this is going to involve time and resources. I know I'm going to be dependent in a way that I'm not comfortable with. I'm going to have to be relying on other people in ways I'm not comfortable with. How would your life be different if you went all in for the Lord Jesus Christ? You think, would I have to move? Maybe. See, the Lord moves people. The Lord makes people stay. People will run from their problems in this world. Jesus, sometimes he holds our feet to the fire and we stay in places, in churches when it's not all easy and, but just a heart that is surrendered. Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm a pawn. Please move me. Use me as you will. I'm not telling you that life all in for God there will be an easier life for you. But I am telling you that a life all in for your Lord Jesus Christ, it is a better life than any other life you can conceive of in this world. Better in every way possible. You know, Jesus didn't encourage everyone to follow him. He didn't encourage everyone to go in, all in, for the kingdom of God. Jesus discouraged people from following him sometimes. And he didn't do this to be mean. He did this to help people weigh their own hearts. Do I really want my Lord and Savior this much? Am I willing to lay it on the line for Jesus Christ? Jesus helps people understand the reality of their own hearts. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my Father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Tough. Tough stuff. Stuff that makes me confront my own heart. Do I want you like that, Lord? Lord. Am I willing to do this without looking back? Am I willing to do this when I think it might cost me something with my family? Or, Or my responsibility to honor my parents? Can I live with that possibility of a reality that I don't have a den and I don't have a nest and a place to lay my head? We run from ideas like that. Well, last week we looked at this true story of Sir John Franklin's lost Arctic expedition where they had the best laid plans and then everything fell apart. We can't always control the outcome of our circumstances. Sometimes we are reminded just how small we are. Even with our careful planning, our, our, our hard efforts, um, doing the best we can, we don't get to control those outcomes. This morning, I'm going to tell you another true story about a little English lady, Gladys Aylward. She was born in 1902 and lived to 1970, just before I was born. She was barely five feet tall. She had dark, piercing eyes. She had a fierce spirit housed in a gentle demeanor. She was born of an industrial working class family in the northern part of London in 1902. And as a young adult, she worked as a parlor maid for a wealthy family, doing house cleaning. She gave little thought to anything about how she was planning to live her life beyond work and then having fun with people she liked to hang out with and she loved as a little gal to go dancing, to go out dancing in, in London in the 1920s or something. Well, one particular night when she was supposed to meet up with friends to go out dancing to these dance halls, being a little woman, there was a crowd being swept along. And, uh, you know, London could be pretty congested. And so she was swept along with this crowd and ended up in the back of this church, and she didn't really even understand how that she got there, but then just as they, she swept in, she was there, and they started the meeting, and she's in the back, uh, but there were all these people around her, and they asked everyone to sit down, and she sat down, and by the time she realized where she was, I'm in a church. Why am I in a church? She was there, had already sat down and started, and she was too embarrassed to get up and walk at, and stand up in front of everyone and let them see their walk out, so she just sat. she just decided, I'll, I'll go ahead and stay." And it was a revival meeting that was taking place. And so she's there in the back, and they go on, and they went on for hours, and she she had never heard the truth of the gospel message in her life. And it shook her to the core. And she says, I realized that night that Jesus Christ died for Gladys Elward. And so she became a Christian. And she's trying to figure out, well, what do Christians do? How do Christians live? And uh, it was some time later she was having questions about, what do I need to be doing with my life, Lord? And she was holding that in prayer before the Lord. She was talking to other Christians, and one day when she was out, she got a little promotional pamphlet from uh, an organization called the China Inland Mission. These millions of people in China who have never heard the gospel message and how we, the Lord needs, we're asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers out to help with this tremendous opportunity that's taking place now in inland China. So this, was, this China Inland Mission was an organization founded by the missionary Hudson Taylor in 1865. And now they help collect support and support missionaries. They had hundreds of missionaries supported through this organization that were doing evangelism in inland China at the time. Well, that seed was planted that grew into a great conviction, that God was calling her to be a missionary in China. Well, from the time she made that decision, everything in her life fell apart. She wasn't able to raise funds. Most people generally wouldn't take her seriously. An undertaking of this magnitude But eventually a door opened for her to receive some introductory training at the China Inland Mission. So even with everyone was saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, she found a way in her tenacious little spirit to go and get some training. But after three months, it was determined by the teachers at the African Inland Mission that she didn't have the aptitude necessary she was not very good at learning the Chinese language. Chinese language is hard. It's a whole different thing. I mean, learning Swahili and Sukuma was hard, but Chinese, is, that's tonal. It's another level of hard. And she wasn't really good at the studies of theology. She didn't know theology, some of the deep truths of she just, she just loved the Lord. And it was determined that you should not continue on And we don't want you anymore uh, to waste your time and your life. And we, we can't invest our limited resources. You need to go and find something else to do with your life. This is not your calling. You're not supposed to be a missionary. She was heartbroken, of course. Heartbroken. Because she was convinced that the Lord wanted her to do this. And eventually... She just kind of moved on. She didn't have a direction. And then she heard some ladies talking in church one Sunday about a single missionary in China who desperately was looking for someone to come and help her in in her hospitality mission. And she knew, this is what I'm supposed to do. She had no endorsements. No one recognized her as a legitimate missionary. She, no one would support her. So she continued working as a maid and a hotel room cleaner. And on the side, as a side hustle, she would go and work in restaurants as a waitress. Until she squirreled away enough money that she invested her life's savings to buy a one-way ticket to China. She couldn't afford to go by ship, which was the preferred travel method of the day, but she ended up traveling on the Trans-Siberian Railway, making her way from St. Petersburg all the way across Russia into northern China. So in 1932, having never traveled internationally anywhere, this little barely five foot tall woman from Northern London, she begins this long and arduous journey around the world to go to China. And the problem was, as she was on that Trans-Siberian Railway, the closer she actually got to China, the fewer and fewer civilians were on the train and more and more Russian soldiers. She didn't know it, but at the time, uh, Russia and China were in an undeclared war. And they had a border conflict, stuff to do with railroads and stuff, and she was on that railroad. Well, she refused to get off the train until finally there were no other civilians on this train. It was only her and Russian soldiers. And she finally gets to a village in Russia, I think maybe near the border of China, a place called Cheetah where the Russian military arrested her and uh, brought her into town in order to uh, have her be forced labor. To They didn't understand from her passport. It said missionary in it. They thought it was a machinist. Machinery, mechanical work for them. <laughs> Those little five, They couldn't understand each other at all. Well, was, uh, she was under house arrest with some local help And after fervent prayer, crying out for the Lord's help, someone said, be ready to go. And uh, they came, and they got her, and she made her way uh, on foot uh, in the early morning hours away, and uh, she escaped that village. And uh, she was able to board the boat of a Japanese fisherman who then detained her and took her back to Japan with, with her. Uh, with him. And so she ends up on the far side of Japan, and then with help of the British consulate, she makes her way across Japan, able to find another fishing boat, travel to mainland China, get other trains to get as far inland as she could to where she was supposed to meet this lady, then had to take buses. And then this village was so remote that she had to travel days further on, on the back of mules, riding mules, to where this mission station was and this other missionary. And the lady wasn't even there to meet her when she arrived. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Well, she finally met this other missionary lady, Jenny Lawson, 74 years old widow, who had continued working in China after her husband had died, supported by the China Inland Mission. And uh, have you ever known an older person who's kind of set in their ways? You get to a certain age, And you think, I kind of want things my way now. And you're not shy about saying so. And so this young lady arrives. And she's not just the older lady. She's Scottish as well. So it's like this kind of my way or the highway kind of. And uh, she had to work. Gladys word with someone who is really difficult. Have you ever been stuck with a difficult person? Yeah, we've got, we know what that's like. Okay, church is just a short time. I can, I can stomach them for Sunday morning. Just kidding. I hope it's not church. <laughs> but we know what that's like in the world or jobs, a difficult customer, a difficult coworker, a difficult boss. But then we get to leave them and we get to go away to... Some. When you're stuck with that person in the middle of China, she says, we never would have been together except for this circumstance where, the, where God dropped us into this place and we had no choice but to figure this out. And so Gladys A. Edward humbled herself and learned from that older missionary. And the primary thing that she learned from that older missionary, she says, was how to pray. She'd been a Christian now for years. She'd been at all kinds of prayer meetings. She prayed. She talked to the Lord constantly. But she said, I never prayed before I met this woman and it was a form of prayer that was unyielding and tenacious and a prayer a kind of prayer that would not quit and she wouldn't give up and what she said she learned on her knees together with this old crotchety missionary the form of prayer that she learned she called it battering on the gates of heaven for the souls of men can you imagine how this church would be different if we all learned to pray like that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, they came up with this idea, and uh, Gladys I didn't particularly like it, but Jeannie Lawson said, no, this is what we're doing. They were going to open an inn. I think it was called the Inn of the Eight Happinesses, the Chinese virtues of love. And they were going to cater to uh, these muleteers. So in China at that time, all the goods were moved with these mules, and uh, these mule traders would come, uh, just lined up for large distances come, and they had no resting place. And this, they thought, we're going to open this inn and we're gonna have a place for their mules and we're gonna give these these muleteers a place to stop and we're gonna provide an evening meal for them. So they arranged for all of this to happen. This little five foot lady would go out there on the road and wave down the muleteers and eventually if they if they got the first stubborn mule to go in there, then all the other stubborn mules would follow and then the muleteers are just kind of stuck there. And what Chinese culture was is they loved around evening meals, they would sit out in the courtyard and they loved storytelling. And these two women and a Chinese cook that they had there, they would, they would tell stories from the Bible. Stories about Noah, stories about creation, stories about the Son of God coming to earth and these muleteers would sit and they would listen to these stories and they would talk about them. And then as they were, they were a transient people, they would go on and they would continue to tell these stories. And that was their, their mission focus, sharing the gospel in, with these transient people going out. Well, they had some success from this, believe it or not, and uh, some, some people were beginning to become Christians. Some of these muleteers and uh, uh, It was they did this for quite a while and then one day when uh, this older Scottish missionary was out there was a a railing that was not properly reinforced it gave way she fell and injured herself and died uh, There in the middle of China buried there and Suddenly Gladys Airwood is alone in the middle of China with no one else around and no means of support because both of these women had been living off of this Scottish woman's meager salary. So again, she got down on her knees and she prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm here and all alone in the middle of nowhere with no means of support. Well, people had been hearing about the good work that these two women had been doing and the governor of that region actually showed up at Gladys' residence and tried to get her to come and work for him. And at first, she just refused flat out. What he needed was uh, they had this practice, horrific practice in China at the time called foot binding, where young girls would have their feet bound so they would break the toes and break the arch of the foot, and then uh, there would be bound so tightly that they would end up with these little tiny feet where they kind of had to learn to walk on their heels like this. And a horrific practice. So girls as young as two to four years old would have their feet bound. And it's not just some girls or just rich girls. At this time in China, it was probably uh, half of the women out there, little girls, would go through this procedure. And some people died from it. And so they would uh, bind these feet so that they could not you know, develop normally. And uh, uh, Christian missionaries were at the forefront of, of advocating to ban this practice. Well, by the time Gladys was there, people were still doing this out in the villages. And they needed, the governor came and said, we need a foot inspector. Will you be my foot inspector? And she's like, no, I don't want anything to do with the Chinese government. This is before it was a communist government. But eventually he kept at her, and she, and she eventually agreed. And she said, I will do it on the condition that I get to freely share my faith in Jesus Christ as I go around these villages. To She had been praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't, as a single woman, continue on to run this hotel with just these men here. She was without a chaperone, basically trapped in that courtyard. And now she has a means of support, the Chinese government supporting her to travel around to, to women and families, uh, to be a, a foot inspector for Jesus, and to share the gospel with people. So she begins to do this. And she's going out to these villages and... Uh, all of these rural areas. She had been praying to have friendships with women. She makes all of these friends. She goes, and these young girls who were just starting to have their feet bound, she told them to stop this practice. And she went in, and she went with such gentleness and tenderness. And she would go to these little girls with their mothers there and unbind their feet and proclaim freedom in Jesus Christ. And she did this with such love and tenderness that soon people were just in love with this woman. They called her the little virtuous one who was helping free young girls from this horrific practice. Well, she had such a good reputation among the Chinese people that eventually some strange things happened. Um, She was lonely as the only Westerner there, not seeing another European for years at at a time sometimes. Uh, And she prayed fervently that the Lord would send her a husband. She didn't like being single doing this. She wanted a husband. She wanted a family of her own. And the Lord never brought anyone. But after time, because she had this reputation of being such a kind, loving person, she ended up with several children who were brought to her in various means. And so she became a mother in her own way with these little adopted children. And uh, it was just a wonderful time. She would continue, she was a mother, she would continue to go out as the Chinese foot inspector for the governor and proclaim the gospel and build friendships and relationships and share her faith. And people were becoming Christians as well. And now she had this little one, these little ones at home. Well, the problem at this time was that the Japanese invaded China, precursor to uh, our involvement in the Second World War. And so all of these Chinese refugees, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, were on the run in China, and they were running inland uh, to get away, and every time these refugees would pass through their village, children would be left behind, and they would end up at Gladys Elward's door, in baskets, various means, They find a Chinese baby in the kitchen sink. Kids are just popping up everywhere. And so she's really upset about this and kind of worried about it. And she said, I prayed to the Lord, I said, Lord, 40 is a good round number, and quite enough for any single woman to handle. Please do not send me more children. (laughs) Single mom, 40 children, yeah, that would, but that war, and the displacement of war, she ended up with 80 children and they would just show up. And she's taking care of these kids. She's teaching about Jesus in the home. She's, got, she's raising this Christian family. She's witnessing to people around. Well, then the Japanese actually bombed her village and her friends, a lot of the Chinese parents, were killed. So, suddenly she has 100 kids with her that are under her care. Invading armies coming, coming, she had to get these children to safety. There was no one to take them anywhere. So this little London woman sets out on a journey of weeks to cross mountain ranges and rivers with no other adult to help her. A couple Chinese teenagers, a couple uh, teenage boys, a hundred orphan children with Gladys Aylward making their way across mountains, across rivers. It was a dangerous journey. It was an arduous journey. She almost lost her life. The first village that they came to, finally, up in the mountains, safe from the Japanese invasion, uh, they refused them. And they said, we don't care if you have 100 kids with you. We're overwhelmed. We cannot possibly open the gates to you and take in any... And these exhausted children. She had uh, Gladys at this time. She had pneumonia. She had typhus. And she had typhoid fever. And she was barely making it. And they had to travel some days on before they finally arrived at this other village, Feng Shui, I think it was called. And uh, when she got news that they were welcomed into the city, she was so exhausted, she just passed out. And she doesn't remember anything else for days. Uh, Well, there happened to be a Chinese doctor in that village who happened to receive experimental medication from the United States to treat things like typhoid and typhus and pneumonia. And so this doctor, using American medicines, saves Gladys's life. and She comes through and she takes her time to rebuild her strength. And she kept working with those children. And now she begins to work as a missionary in this new village of Feng Shui. Eventually, for the first time in many years, people figured out this amazing story of this woman. And a news reporter hears about this and actually raises funds to send her back to the UK. And so she goes back to London. um, And she's there for a time. And no one can believe this unassuming little nobody regular working-class London woman could do such an amazing work for the Lord. Shocked everyone. Eventually she was able to go back, but at that time uh, the Communists had taken over China and so she had to work in Hong Kong and then later she worked in Taiwan, continuing to run uh, children's homes and evangelize people for the Lord. No one could have ever guessed the way the Lord would use this woman because she said yes. And when a person gives up their own plans to take up God's plans, it doesn't make things easier. It makes things harder. But even though life gets harder, I think it gets better. So think about this. From the time Gladys Ayrwood said yes to God. Here's some of the little ones that she went on that journey with. Can you imagine? A hundred kids in your charge. From the time this woman said yes to God's plan for her life, to be a missionary in China, here's what happens. She is told she can't be a missionary because she's a woman. She's told she can't be a missionary because she is single. She is told she can't be a missionary because she can't learn Chinese. She is told she can't be a missionary because she doesn't understand theology well enough. She is told she can't go to China because you can't afford it, and this is way too expensive, and no one's going to support you anyway, so just give up. She's told by the Russian military that you don't belong here, and she's arrested and pressed into forced labor. She's Arriving when she finally gets to where she, she's saddled with a difficult lady that she has to work with and has to humble herself and learn to get along with. She's left alone in the middle of China then when she dies with no means of support. She longs for friendships with Chinese women and freedom to travel. She asks God to bring her a husband and a family of her own. He doesn't. She ends up with children. There's too many children. She asks God to stop bringing them. He doesn't. She's got a price on her head by the Japanese soldiers who thought of her as a Chinese spy and put a bounty on her. She has to make this arduous journey, together with a hundred orphan children, across mountains and rivers, a journey that almost kills her. From the time this woman said yes to God, her life fell apart. And she had no regrets. She had no regrets. I think when a person gets serious about taking on God's plans as their own, that can be a time when things get really hard. Because that's when your own strength, your own resources, your own talents, and your own abilities are going to fall short, and you know it what you have in yourself is insufficient to the enormity of the task of the mission of God. And that's the way God wants it. See, the Bible is filled with all kinds of story, stories of people who decide to go all in for God. They have no other plans. Their plans are all God's plans. And when they do that, everything falls apart. and they don't know what to do, and they cry out. And so I was thinking about four stories in Scripture where people are all in for God, and yet they're lost, and they don't know what they're doing, and they need Jesus Christ to come and save them. Think about the story of Saul. Saul was a man who was all in and zealous for God so much so that he persecuted Christians who he thought of as her- a heresy. When you think you know the plan, but it's not actually the plan. If the plan does not involve Jesus Christ, it's the wrong plan. Story of Saul on the road to Damascus, you remember that story? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Who you are persecuting. He thought he had the right plan. But then he really learns the right plan. Remember that story? What was the guy's name who he was supposed to go see? Do you remember? And what does that guy say to God? Don't you know about who this guy is? God, that's the wrong plan. This guy has been persecuting Christians. And the Lord says to him, "What? I I I've chosen him. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name." Peter knew the plan. Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah. He knew the plan. He wasn't strong enough to keep the plan, was he? even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What did Peter do? What did Jesus tell him was going to happen? What did Jesus tell him to do that Peter failed to do? Watch and pray. And Jesus said, when you have turned back, Come and strengthen your brothers. Peter wasn't strong enough to keep the plan, was he? And then there's that tender text in John's, the end of John's Gospel, where Jesus is cooking them breakfast, and they come in. They say it's the Lord, and Peter runs because he has his burden that he knows he denied his Savior. And Jesus says three times, do you love me? Peter knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. When you think you know the plan but you aren't strong enough to stick with the plan. When you can't see the depth of God's plans and you give up on the plans. Jesus appearing to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that story? It's a great story as well. And they're like, how have you not heard about, and Jesus is like, well, tell me. And so they begin to pour out the sorrow of their hearts because they said, we had hoped that he was the one. And now their hope is broken. And Jesus has to begin to explain, and he tells the story of himself from Moses through the prophets. Oh, I would have loved to sit and listen to that conversation. And then he's finally revealed to them in the breaking of the bread, and they begin to see the reality of the depths of God's plan. And then this story of Mary Magdalene, whose heart is crushed. All of her plans have unraveled. The very worst has happened, and you think it's all over. What else is there to do? Well, maybe I can anoint his body with... And you discover that grave robbers have moved his body. You remember this story in John 20? And so she goes, and she's there, and she tells the disciples they come. She's there crying. Peter and John are like, you know, guys don't hang around when a woman's crying so they leave again and she's alone there and these angels come, why are you crying? And then later, Jesus shows up and she thinks he's the gardener, there's no plans, everything's fallen apart and he calls her by name and everything changes. When you go all in for God, it doesn't make everything easy in your life. But we have a Savior who doesn't leave us alone. He provides for us. He comes. He rescues us. We all need to be rescued in our own way. And God's divine rescue plan is still in motion in this world. And we still are here in this time, in this place, in this Eugene, Springfield area, this one particular church to fulfill God's plans and purposes. At the end of her life, preaching to an audience of people, Gladys Edwards said this, God sends each one of us I have not done what I wanted to. I have not eaten what I wanted or worn what I would have chosen. I have not lived in a house that I would ever have looked at twice. I've longed, as I told you, for a husband and babies and security and love, and he didn't give it. He left me alone for 17 years with one book, a Chinese Bible. I don't know anything about your latest novels, pictures, or theaters. I live in a rather outdated world. And I suppose that you say, well, it's awful miserable, isn't it? Friend, I've been one of the happiest women that have ever stepped this earth. And I have a great family of someone else's children whom I have loved with a great love because Jesus Christ loved me and whom I am now receiving love back from. O Lord, give us freedom, freedom in Thee, that You might be able to pick us up and put us down and use us when and where and how You like so that someone might know how much you love them. Do you want to be used like that? That kind of humility and service that humbles me. And I think, who am I? Who am I? It seems impossible. What if you can't give the Lord right now your entire life for the rest of your life? You've got other things to do, other responsibilities. What would it look like if you gave him one year. One year all in for you, Lord Jesus. What if you can't do that? What would it look like if you gave one month? You make plans to take that time off. You figure out a mission. You're going to do this, and you're going to go all in for this month. What would that look like? You can't do a month. What about a week? What about a day? Give the Lord just one day where you're all in for Him. What if you can't do a day? Could you do one minute for Jesus Christ? what would that minute look like? Do you think God could grow stuff? He's the God of mustard seed growth. He takes small things and they lead to bigger things. You know, me as your preacher, I, I look at my own life and my own formation. I look at my hopes for you as a congregation. My dream is not for you to become a spiritual superhero. My dream is that you will wake up to Jesus Christ and choose to honor him and do the next right thing. What can I do for you, Lord? Have you prayed that prayer before? Will you pray that prayer this week? What can I do for you, Lord? That's a dangerous prayer. I understand that. And the way the Lord is going to answer you is this. There's going to be an idea that comes into your mind of something you can do for the Lord. And then you're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to do this? Or I'm going to let this slide and just forget it? You know, if we begin to honor the Lord in the next moment, that leads to other moments. In the hands of God, a few minutes becomes a beautiful thing, and it leads to other minutes and other hours. As we live this life of faith, faith grows. Pray that prayer, what can I do for you, Lord? so that someone might know how much you love them. Are you open to letting God use you in that way? So Logan, you can come up. That's our sermon this morning. It's my hope for my life that I can be used in ways that God shows himself in people's lives so that people know how much he loves them. There's so many good things happening in this church. What would it look like if you just up things a notch and went to your next level for the honor of your Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, we always offer an invitation here for the prayers of this church, for letting us know how we can help you and serve you. Uh, To put the Lord on in baptism, we always offer that invitation. And you can find me up front if you need to share something with me. I'll be up here uh, while we go ahead and sing our invitation song together.